you know, I, I th this um, this is a profession. It's a profession of arms. Um, you know, for somebody to really get everything out of a profession, they have to invest in the profession. Mm -hmm. They have to invest in themselves. I encourage people uh, look at yourself honestly, uh, understand your limitations, your um, strengths. Uh, you know, the opportunities in front of you. Welcome back to Leaders Recon, where we will discuss leadership, warrior skills, and opportunities within the Army National Guard G3 Leadership Development Branch. I'm your host, Captain Carney, and today we're joined by the Michigan TAG, Major General Paul Rogers. Sir, thank you for taking the time to be on the show with us. Thank you, I appreciate the opportunity. And today we're looking at the Future Strategic Leader Program. So, first of all, sir, what we normally like to do is start off with a fact that whenever people, an interesting fact that whenever they hear it, they're kind of surprised. So, what's something about yourself that you'd like to share? Oh, well, that's, uh, that's a wide open question. Absolutely. A bit uncomfortable too. Oh. Um, I'm not a good topic to cover, but uh, I, you know, I think um, I've had a 30 plus year career. I've been a traditional guardsman or a dual status for the, the uh, air guard side of things. Yes, sir. A guard member for over 30 years, about 34 years mm -hmm. now. It was just in the last three years that the governor asked me to come uh, be the adjutant general that I've been you know, more uh, full-time, um, and that's aside from deployments to Iraq in 2004 and five. but mm -hmm. um, uh, very much a traditional guardsman, had a career in the civilian world in parallel with this. That civilian career was with the Army, so as a DA civilian, uh, but it was very, very separate. Uh, in my research, sir, I found out that you're with the TARDEC. Yes. So that's yep. the... Um... Uh, I'm sorry, if you wouldn't mind a, going through it. Yeah, TARDEC is a Tank and Automotive Research Development Engineering Center. It has now since been renamed oh. uh, as a few years ago, uh, but that was one of nine research centers within the Army. So mm -hmm. my career started as an engineer uh, within the research community mm -hmm. uh, with the Army. Uh, I then transitioned and spent a few years uh, with the PEO, the Program Executive Offices mm -hmm. for Office for Ground Combat Systems. Yes, sir. And then came back as the director for U.S. Army TARDAC. It's now the Ground Vehicle Systems Center, but at the time is the Tank and Automotive Research Development and Engineering Center. Very impressive. And then my civilian career ended, um, uh, you know, as a Tier Two senior executive in the Army, as the deputy to the Commanding General at TACOM, which is a Tank and Automotive Command. Okay. Um, and then that, at that point, that's when the governor approached me after her election and asked me to come on board full-time as the adjutant general. Okay. Very impressive, by the way. So as your, that leads into your time as the TAG. So for your duration, you just came in, at, well, I say just, but January of 2019. So obviously the big topic that everyone's been aware of for the last couple of years. So you've been very active in regards to the, or Michigan has been in regard to COVID response and um, with domestic operations. So uh, with the president's inauguration coming in, but if you wouldn't mind, uh, what are some of your big strategic uh, objectives as the TAG? Well, you know, I've always seen, um, I think in all leaders should always be looking at their current organization thinking, mm -hmm. how would I improve it if I had the chance? Of um, so. 
you know, coming in as the adjutant general, it's an organization I'm very proud of, the Michigan National Guard. Um, uh, long history, uh, just such some great leaders over the past. Uh, but I came in with my own ideas, and one of them was to make us more strategic, more strategically aware of what we had to offer, and then investing in people to be strategic leaders going forward. Uh, so I, th I think um, uh, you know any any National Guard entity can really uh, you know, celebrate what they've done tactically or operationally, particularly since 9/11. Uh, we've been a major part of that that fight. Uh, but I think uh, the, the states that really stood out to me uh, were states that were very aware of the strategic value that they brought, brought to the enterprise, not only the National Guard Bureau enterprise, but the Department of Defense enterprise. Mm -hmm. And there are states out there that really uh, are a beacon that can show others what's possible if you apply yourselves. And uh, what I recognized throughout my career is that Michigan had this incredible offering for the Department of Defense. Mm -hmm through its National Guard enterprise that it was not bringing to the table. Sure. And that's a missed opportunity, not just for Michigan, uh, but primarily it's a missed opportunity for the Department of Defense. In my previous career in the research realm and in the acquisition realm, uh, I saw this potential. So coming in as the Adjutant General, I saw an opportunity to really bring that to the forefront and, and share that with the Department of Defense and with the National Guard Bureau um, more specifically. Uh, you know, just to, to give a little um, example behind the scenes, mm -hmm. uh, we have a we have a training environment where we have the largest Army National Guard maneuver space in the nation. Really, 148,000 acres uh, and growing. Okay, um, we have the largest restricted use airspace uh, east of the Mississippi River at oh. 17,000 square miles. Uh, we have bombing ranges in Big Water in Lake Huron. Mm -hmm. We have bombing ranges on the ground. Uh, and then we have partnerships with uh, uh, satellite companies that are doing DOD contracts. Very cool. So we're flying live satellites in our training exercises. Really? And we're doing EW and cyber effects with other research organizations within the Department of Defense. So right. when we talk uh, multi-domain, uh, what Michigan brings to the table is all domain. And it's there, it's available, and it really was a hidden gem. And when you're, when you're in this world, if you're a hidden gem, that means you're missing out on bringing that value right. proposition to the Department of Defense and to the National Guard Bureau. So that was really something I wanted to get after in this role. Um, of course, I didn't plan on a pandemic. I did sure. not plan on civil unrest in cities. I did not plan on a 500-year dam break flood in Michigan. Opportunities to shine. <laughs> All those other things, right? So, um, you know, that that set us kind of on pause for for a while, mm -hmm. uh, but we continued to work it internally. We continued to engage and inform people. And now coming out of the, the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, as we are, it's really starting to take root and people are starting to pay attention. Right. Um, and our large uh, marquee exercise, which is called Northern Strike, Mm -hmm. uh, we'll now have about 8,000 participants this year, mm -hmm. and it is a live fire training exercise with the integration of all those domains to include uh, air and ground forces using you know live munitions and integrating with one another. So it's really a, a marquee opportunity uh, to demonstrate new technologies, to enhance readiness training for the joint force. That's fantastic. As an MI officer, it's like whenever you say satellites, you're you're 
preaching to the choir. So oh, yeah, very yeah. exciting. And, and I'll tell you, the key about it is industry is hungry oh, yeah. to demonstrate capability. So this, these satellite companies are flying satellites um, and giving us live feeds to a fire center, which is then putting steel on target in about seven minutes. Mm -hmm. So we have that imagery from a satellite to a fire center to a call for fire to steal on target, and that's being executed real time. Absolutely. So what do they call that? Uh, sensor to shooter, time, the loop. Right. Correct. So yep. that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to go back to whenever you were talking about the unique opportunities that the Michigan Enterprise was uh, able to offer. So. You were talking about the your prerogative to enhance the the leadership potential there. So that leads very nicely into the uh, what we're talking about today, the Future Strategic Leader Program. So if you don't mind, is, can we do a, an overview of that briefly sure. before we dive into it? Sure. Yeah, the the Future Strategic Leader de Leader Development Program was um, uh, you know something I, I saw as a need. Uh, within our enterprise, mm -hmm. um, you know, we have formal training. Starts at that small unit leadership, goes to tactical, you know, proficiency, operational proficiency. But it's not until somebody really probably gets to the war college where they really start to think strategically and get trained and exposed to strategic learning and uh, objectives. Sure. And, and that's you know that's a senior lieutenant colonel or a junior colonel. And to me, it's, it's not too late, but it's late if we really want to harness uh, the potential of all of our service members. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do something uh, outside of that professional leadership, that, um, that uh, institutional leadership that gave people exposure to strategic initiatives. So that's why I started the, this program. Okay. Uh, it was to take... Uh, leaders, um, officers, it's, it's structured around officers at the time, at this point, but uh, we wanted captains post-company command uh, or junior majors, and we wanted to bring them into a learning environment uh, where they could work as a cohort, they can study together, learn together, and start to expose themselves to some strategic challenges and be able to better understand what leaders at the national level are dealing with. And by having that understanding, when they come back to their operational or tactical role, mm -hmm. uh, they now can connect dots. And they right. can understand what they're doing today or what they're doing in this at this operational level. Mm -hmm. They can understand how that fits in strategically to our national objectives. Absolutely. And I think if you want to understand the national military strategy or defense strategy, you really have to understand how it ties tactical to operational to strategic. Mm. So it was a means to, to expose folks to that continuum and to understand the cause and effect of what they're doing. Okay. So uh, to kind of get the reciprocal of that, if they don't have that perspective, obviously they're not gonna have the sort of maybe buy-in as far as to accomplish a goal because they don't see how it's feeding into a bigger picture, but like if, what would you say are some of the pitfalls when people have a, an operational perspective instead of a strategic perspective? So I, 
you know, there's clearly there's performance issues, right? Organizational. Sure. When you look at the organization, you may see disconnects in performance. Misalignment. Misalignment. Sure. Um, but let's set that aside. Uh, this is more about talent development. Mm. And, and what I worry about is you have these high-performing, uh, really capable leaders who may get frustrated at the level they are today because they don't understand how things connect. And to help them see how things connect, mm -hmm. make them more vote motivated, encourages them to be students of their profession and to continue to invest in themselves, understanding that what they're doing at this level does have a benefit long term at the strategic level or maybe short term, but at a higher level of impact. Right. So, you know, it's that when you have high performing talent, they want to be engaged, mm -hmm. they want to be purposeful, they want to have meaningful outcomes. And sometimes it's hard to connect those dots when you don't quite see that bigger picture. So there's a level of frustration from your high performers. Sure. Uh, the other side of it is that we do have incredible talent across the National Guard. Uh, we have people who are hungry to learn, hungry to grow, they want to understand the benefits of their actions. Mm -hmm. So just job satisfaction. Uh, and knowing where they fit in and knowing how to contribute, I think, is another key uh, piece of that. So, that's excellent. So, I, you know, that's it, it's more about talent and managing talent, developing talent, and investing Retention, in talent. illustrating increased future potential, really. So Absolutely. Keeping people excited engaged. about their careers. Right. right. So I've had jobs uh, throughout my career where I just, you just kind of get into the box and you're working a process and it's it's very not flexible Turning a wrench right? almost. Yeah. <laughs> and that can be that can be frustrating sure um if you don't understand how important it is long term and mm. if you don't see that there is a path out of that that uh position so i think encouraging people to see again what they're contributing how it fits in how it satisfies things uh, strategically is pretty important. There is actually a selfish part of this program. Okay. <laughs> uh, as an adjutant general, and I think all of my fellow adjutant generals will attest to this, uh, I rarely get to interact with captains and majors. Sure. You know, you, you get you get caught around the campfire with the same leadership team day mm -hmm. in and day out working on issues, and you really don't have that freedom to engage in a little bit more relaxed setting. It tends to be task and outcome mm -hmm. meetings. Um, so what this allowed me to do is meet with these cohorts, travel with them, uh, listen to them, talk to them, exchange ideas mm -hmm. where there is no immediate outcome necessary. It's all about thinking and growing and learning and getting to know one another on a more personal level. Is so, this the tag talk I read about? This is the tag okay. talk. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hate that term. It oh. sounds like I'm doing all the talking, but oh. I, th if you ask them, I probably am, but uh, I think it's it is an exchange. So uh, throughout the program, and maybe we're jumping ahead a little bit, but throughout the program, um, this is a very rigorous effort. So regardless of where we are in the world uh, at the given time, uh, we spend the day meeting with other strategic leaders, mm -hmm. listening to them, hearing from them, learning from them, right. and trying to see the world through their eyes and through their position that they hold. At the end of the day, we spend up to two hours unpacking what we've heard, mm -hmm. trying to figure out, okay, what did he hear? What did she hear? What did you hear? And then what did I hear? And then trying to make sense of it. Right. 
and and everybody hears things a little bit differently. Everybody sees a different point, a different uh, perspective. Absolutely. Uh, and no single perspective or point is more correct than the other one. So bringing that to the table, laying it out there, unpacking it, mm -hmm. trying to make sense of it is a very, very important part of the process. Absolutely. So it's, it's just not meeting, 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 and then you're off for the evening. You right. know, there's the, the sausage making, the, the so what. That comes Discerning and absorbing the meaning. Absolutely. So when did you have the backstory, or excuse me, when did you have the idea to initiate the program? What steps, uh, what dominoes did you have to line up to yeah. get it going? Yeah, that's a great question because, um, you know, I was actually at Indopaycom uh, because we do some work with partners in the Pacific. Mm -hmm. uh, I was invited to uh, General Flynn's commander's call. Mm -hmm. Uh, U.S. Army Pacific. So he had all his commanders from across the Pacific there. Uh, I was there as part of the audience, uh, engaging and, and listening and and had a couple opportunities to interject. Um, but just listening to that conversation uh, and the perspectives from Japan or Alaska or, you know, South China Sea or the, you know, Hawaii where they're headquartered out of mm -hmm. and seeing that engagement you know, it really became uh, very, uh, uh, you know, I became very aware of the fact that this is a very complex theater mm -hmm. and there is no single user pack environment. You know, they're, they're operating on islands, they're operating on mainlands, they're operating all over the place. So uh, that, you know, walking away from that, I thought, wow, I mean, just for somebody to come in and understand what's happening in Indo-PACOM, mm -hmm. that would be such an incredible growth opportunity. Then that connected to something that was just annoying me. I talk about like a marble rolling around in a tin can. I have those things in my head over time that sure. just keep you know rolling around, rolling around. And the one was uh, the frustration that I didn't get to spend time with captains and majors and just a you know, a relaxed environment. It was always you just, the needs up. Yeah, it was that five minute engage, break, right. go. So so I saw an opportunity to boy, if I could bring a cohort out here of mid career folks and expose them to what was happening in Indopaycom and giving them appreciation of how complex that environment was and what we were dealing with and the Chinese threat and Chinese um, actions within that entire environment. Uh, that would really set them on a path for their career mm -hmm. of awareness and understanding. Catching uh, them at that, the infancy of their strategic career. It really is, yeah. You know, because investment in me, that's going to be, you got a couple of years to wring out any benefit. Oh, but invest in more. something like you, <laughs> invest in somebody like you, and you may have 15, 20 years where you're going to be able to give back and contribute. So mm -hmm. I really saw an opportunity there. And on the flight back home, um, kind of sketched out the program. And then when I landed, I called my J3 at the time and I said, I want a program designed around this. Mm -hmm. And here's my intent. And then it was really the legwork of him and his team that brought it to fruition. Mm -hmm. uh, in our first cohort, we went to Indopaycom. And it, it was um, 12 officers. And it's always joint, it's always Army and Air. Uh, it, there's always a mix of uh, AGRs, technicians and traditional service members. So I think it's it's important. It doesn't always lean toward the active duty folks who are right here every day who can easily get away from work right. or more easily get away from work. But uh, it really needed to um, uh, capture 
the, the diversity of our organization. So we took that first group out. Uh, we met with the U.S. Army Pacific, uh, U.S. Uh, Pacific Fleet, U.S. Pacific Air Force. Uh, we then went to the Inouye Center for Strategic Studies and, and met with some of their strategic professors and professionals and, and had discussions over the course of a week associated with what China's doing, the competition with China, uh, what would happen in a crisis or a conflict and what would trigger that. Mm -hmm. uh, but then we also, we don't focus just on, on military. That's too easy, right? We right. want to look at all the socioeconomic issues. We want to look at some of the economic issues that, that help um, really mm -hmm. shape that environment. And we looked at the total influence of the United, Na of United States and our allies and the right. importance of allies in that region. Because it is a joint fight, and we, we usually fight in a coalition. So absolutely, and, and in fact, we we must right. right? Um, it, numerically, you know, numbers don't balance out when you have our alliance. That's truly our strength, mm -hmm. and to bring all that those folks to the table is such a powerful influence. That's really what shapes uh, our our presence in that region. So that investment in the relationships, the understanding of the relationships. And I talk about hammers and nails, right? If you're a military, you know, and you're the hammer, mm -hmm. everything looks like a nail and you're right. just trying to solve problems as if they're nails. We really have to step back at the strategic level, uh, get away from that tactical fight and start to look at this and say, where does the Department of State fit in? Where does USAID fit in? Where do all these other US agencies, but then all the international partners fit in? Mm -hmm. It makes things much more complicated because now you need to drive the consensus. You need to build awareness. Mm -hmm. um, you have to keep invested in that coalition where a lot of times it's just easier to go it alone. Uh, what's the old um, saying, you know, if you, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together Absolutely. type of thing. So um, if we really want to be successful in this world, we have to go as a coalition. We have to have our partners. Um, and that's both other entities of the federal government in the U.S., mm -hmm. but then other foreign partners. Uh, and that coalition and awareness is pretty important. So we study that. We study strategic narcissism. Uh, that was a... That was a main theme to H.R. McMaster's book after he, he retired from the NSA, left that position, his latest book, uh, Strategic Narcissism, was a key theme. So our first paper for our, each cohort is to study, understand strategic narcissism, the risk that presents to the United States to see all problems through the lens of, of America and try to always impose an American solution. Uh, you know, that rarely works. And he makes... Um, uh, you know, a key point throughout his book on our failures because of narcissism. So um, the cohorts are focused on understanding that first and foremost. And now once they understand strategic narcissism, we approach the rest of our studies trying to avoid seeing everything through American eyes. And that's why our engagement with our partners is so important. We need to see the world like Europe through Latvian eyes. Right. We need to see Europe through German eyes. We need to see Europe through European eyes. Latvia is your nation state partner, right? That's our nation state right. partner. Cool. Yep. Yep. And and equally as important, we have to see the world through our adversaries' eyes. Mm -hmm. If you want to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it, you have to try to shed your own bias. You right. have to try to see it. You don't have to agree with what they see. Oh, yeah. 
but you have to put it into context. You need to understand the world through their eyes or mm. you're destined to make missteps or a poor judgment. Absolutely. And just to echo that, uh, three different points as far as um, Victory Day just occurred in Russia. So we can see the reciprocal patriotism that Russians have for their own country, albeit they do have, they did have some protesting going on as far as in opposition to yeah. a few global topics. But yeah. um, number two, the book by General, former General McMasters, is that uh, what is that title in the pre-reading that I saw for yes. UCOM? Okay. Yeah. And yep. we'll get that book up on, or the, can we put that reading list up? Oh, on? absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Feel free. And the, the reading list varies a little bit. So our first cohort went to, went to Indo-PACOM and studied that theater and Chinese and the GCC. was the primary, um, um, yeah, uh, you know, opponent, threat, if you want to mm -hmm. use that term. And then our second uh, group <coughs> went, and that first group was last November. Our second group was this um, past month where we went to Europe mm -hmm. and we spent the first day or so at, at uh, NATO uh, Supreme Headquarters. Shape. Shape. Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. Supreme Headquarters, Allied, Allied Powers, Europe. Powers, yes. Yep. So uh, we spent uh, a day there. Uh, we visited the battlefield of Bastogne. We did uh, uh, a uh, studies of the, you know, the battle you know, the Battle of the Bulge and mm -hmm. the, the operations around Bastogne. Uh, we then moved from there to our partner in Latvia. Uh, we met with the ambassador, U.S. ambassador in, in Latvia. Uh, and again, uh, to be correct, I try to get away from the table, right? Mm -hmm. I try to sit against the wall outside of it, and I try to have our captains and majors as the focal point for mm -hmm. these strategic leaders. So when the ambassador is talking to the group, that's who he's talking right. to and engaging with. So they have a chance to, to interview an ambassador, ask for that person's perspective. The ambassador in Latvia is a career diplomat. So he has a long storied career in many different countries mm -hmm. and he brings a very unique perspective. So they get to talk to that individual and hear from that individual. Mm -hmm. uh, then they get to have dinner with the chief of defense you know, the General Milley of Latvia, right? right, right. The, uh, you know, that chief of defense and sit with him and his le key leaders mm -hmm. uh, to understand how Latvia sees Europe, how mm -hmm. Latvia sees NATO, how Latvia sees the Russians. From the Baltic states, right? From the Baltic states. Right. They were part of the Soviet Union. Absolutely. Uh, they, you know, they, they were, over the course of their history, they are either, you know, controlled by the Russian czar. Sure. Um, uh, controlled by Nazi Germany, controlled by the Soviet Union. Right. Uh, they've had periods of independence that were relatively short-lived in hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. uh, so now coming out from under the Soviet umbrella mm -hmm. uh, and having their independence and being now a member of NATO, they have a very unique perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, and they see the threat from Russia as being real bordering them so. yeah yep they have the longest i think border of nato mm -hmm. with russia proper so um that's a very real threat uh they see it very clearly they've been messaging that for years and years and years 2014 ish nobody really listening right um because it just didn't seem mm -hmm. real to us uh, but now with ukraine they were one of the first to start shipping arms to ukraine to mm -hmm. fight the russians 
Uh, they've been very vocal with other countries in NATO that have been hesitant to step forward and offer kinetic weapons to Ukraine. So uh, they're making their voices heard because they see how important this is. Mm -hmm. So for our, again, our cohort to go to Latvia, sit with the chief of defense and talk to him about this and mm -hmm. feel his passion and the sense of urgency that they have in that country. It's not something we as Americans can really feel. No. But if you, if you can, again, strip your biases and really listen and climb inside right. and channel what they see and feel, uh, it's a whole different view of the world in that, that It's region. fantastic. Because when I was at Captain's Career Course, we had some, some officers from Latvia. And so in Captain's Career Course, what's our near-peer threat? We're studying, you know, looking at Polish maps of Ukraine and stuff like that, kind of preparing for the current situation. So yeah. it's... Um, it's a potent feeling to be around someone who's studying this and is um, actively mentally preparing for this. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the next thing that I wanted to bring up, sir, was we talked about shape and the, uh, you said chief of defense, I'm sorry. Yeah, chief, chief of defense, of defense yeah. for Latvia. And so the ambassador, and whenever I was reading all of these places and individuals with whom you're meeting, how do you facilitate that as far as, you know, coming out of Michigan, you know, there's 50 states and then here's the Army National Guard and they're like, well, obviously Latvia is a good, the nation state mm -hmm. training partner, but yeah. who do you talk to? How do you facilitate? How do you build those relationships as far as, hey, we're from Michigan Guard and we'd like to come see the where all of the world's NATO operations are taking place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for me, it's easy because I just dump that on my J3 and I let that be his problem. <laughs> but but really what we've found is that people, uh, they welcome it. Okay. And now, if every state was doing this, they might be overwhelmed with demand and, and oh. it might be, you know, sure. attacks on their time. But uh, what we've experienced is that people are very open to including us and bringing us in. We have not had a single entity say no, whether it was a US command mm -hmm. or a foreign partner, uh, they are very welcoming and they'd like to see other states do this. Okay. Uh, they'd, they'd really appreciate what we're trying to do and the importance of it. And we've had nothing but open arms embrace us. And I, I can't, the only people who are, who've got into you know some challenges when they've commit and then they get redirected because of oh. what's going on in Ukraine but that but happens immediately they have somebody backfilling them sure so uh, the general officers the ambassadors the um, the senior leaders mm -hmm. have all opened up their conference rooms and they've brought these teams of uh, you know mid-career officers in and it really embraced it so they want to share that perspective with the American military so they do and they get the, and through that they get to invest in the next generation of leaders absolutely and, and I think um, you know I think all of us at some point in our <coughs> career you know you start to kind of see that horizon you know sure. when your time is up and oh. you never you always try to delay it but essentially right. the clock stops and you're moving on right and um, so I think at that point when you can see that horizon you start to think okay how do I take everything I have learned mm -hmm. and how do I pass that on? You plant the seed of the tree, the shade of which you will never know. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. It, from my pre-reading, it was um, 
there were three argumentative papers, and yeah. then you had some uh, briefing preparations. What what were those pre-trip preparations? So there's there's a series of virtual meetings that we hold. Okay. Uh, some of them are informative, uh, where like we have uh, you know a, a senior fellow or a professor from a strategic uh, entity like the Marshall Center mm -hmm. or the Inouye Center. Uh, they come <laughs> online and they they spend an hour or two you know, delivering a presentation to help. So mm -hmm. uh, for our trip to Europe, we had Dr. Hurd from the Marshall Center, uh, who's an expert in Russian studies. He's focused his career on studying Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, he came on to help us again, channel the Russian point of view, try sure. to see what's going on in NATO, what's going on in Europe through Russian eyes. So um, we bring people in like that. So there's those informative engagements. Mm -hmm. But the first paper uh, is strategic narcissism for all cohorts, because we have to understand we have biases and blind spots because we're American. Mm -hmm. So that's always the first one. The second one changes a bit, and it's based on the theater and what are the strategic topics. So in Indo-PACOM, it was mostly China, uh, could be Belt and Road Initiative, it could be other things China is South doing, China sea South expansion. China Sea. You know the all the buildup, the military buildup. Several different topics. Mm -hmm. uh, in in Russia, it was somewhat different. But again, looking at that threat environment and what's going on, and again, not just through a military lens. Right. It has dime. to be through dime. Right. Correct. Um, so we do that, um, and then it changes sometimes. So I called an audible on this last one. So okay. they all thought. So they're supposed to write their paper, their strategic paper, before we go. Sure. And then during the trip, they're supposed to be examining their point of view, their assumptions, the facts they used, and, and try to find where maybe they didn't quite see things correctly. Sure. So they're being self-critical of their own position and research paper. Right. And then they're supposed to edit it throughout the trip so that when they come out of it, they have that, that paper in final form. Correcting those blind spots. Correct. Absolutely. Correct. Because we can try to break our own biases down, but nothing does that faster than, again, seeing Russia through Latvian eyes and right. hearing that and having that exchange. So then you go back and you revisit your writings and you change it. So you come out of the, the trip with a refined position paper or policy paper based on whatever the focus topic was that you picked up on going into it. So that's one. The Audible I called halfway through this last trip uh, I'll give it a simple term, what's next? So I challenge everybody to write a paper on the, the U.S. influence and global position after the Russian-Ukraine war. And what they had to take a look at was some basic questions. Is NATO stronger or weaker after the war is over in Ukraine? In what regard? Yeah, across the board, <laughs> right? Is our influence stronger or weaker globally? Mm -hmm. You know, have we emboldened or deterred other forces mm -hmm. such as Iran, China, North Korea through what they witnessed us, our actions in Ukraine, Russia. Mm -hmm. So it's the interconnectedness of the world. Mm -hmm. So if you're only focused on the outcome of the Ukraine-Russian war, uh, your actions may actually create the next problem right. or the next conflict. Ukraine, and, and, you don't, and all of a sudden you, 
hey, that's over, and then you go over here, and now you got this other major problem brewing because they saw weakness, right. or they saw hesitancy, or they saw something in our decision-making here that gave rise to their opportunity over there. Starting with a T. Just kidding. <laughs> right, yeah, right? So, so, so you gotta, you gotta kind of take a look holistically. How are we being interpreted? Because mm -hmm. we're being watched. Absolutely. And the we is not just us, but it's NATO. Right. So does NATO come out stronger? Mm -hmm. So the U.S. could come out stronger, but we could marginalize NATO. Right. And now we're weaker globally. Because we overshadowed their influence. So. Correct, right? You undermine other strategic outcomes, maybe diplomatically, maybe economically, maybe something else. So right. I wanted our team to step back, again, shed the military perspective and start to look at it and say, what decisions <laughs> do we need to make? What kind of actions do we need to take? that leave us in a stronger position globally, aside from this more regional conflict, mm -hmm. how does it position us? So that what next is what they're trying to write now. And that was just something that came to me through the engagements and the conversations that we were having during the trip. Mm -hmm. So that was an added paper that they're not too happy about, oh, but, <laughs> but they have to do that. Um, uh, and then, you know, you referenced a third paper. Typically the third paper Take the what next aside for sure, a moment, sure. but the third paper is, so they've strategic narcissism, their own independent research mm -hmm. policy position paper that they refine during a trip. But then coming out of that, they are to pair up okay. with somebody and they are to write a paper for publication. Oh. And we had our first publication of a paper from our Indo-PACOM trip. Um, so again, for a captain major to get published in some journal, some military uh, outlet, that's a great accomplishment. Uh, so their goal is to get together. Um, you know, we can appoint partners or they can just self-select partners, however it works, and write a paper together with the intent of being published. Fantastic. And that could be any topic related to what they've learned. Mm -hmm. So uh, that there's a, that's a little bit more free form. Mm -hmm. So I think the what's next uh, may give them the, the fruits of a, a publishable paper. Mm -hmm. And I think it'd be there'd be a lot of outlets interested in the perspectives of, you know, some mid-level uh, career, you know, officers and based on their experience and exposure. Quite the interviews that you're, you're capturing. So to put them into a, an academic format, that's wonderful. Yeah. And just an idea that I had was whenever we were talking about DIME in, in relation to a NATO alliance, whenever you combine those two, if you look at, you know, if one, if just America applied trade sanctions to Russia, then, um, I mean, that would stink. But whenever you have the European economy, which a third of its oil is being supplied by Russia, it's like, that's a large buyer-supplier relationship that's now being yeah. tampered with because of a, a military alliance. So that e economics, I think this is a fantastic global example of how you can apply other aspects of dime Oh, absolutely. And that's uh, most solutions are non-military, right? Uh, and it's all about winning without using a military solution. Right. So, uh, and that could be defined in many different ways. Um, you know, again, what I'm asking my folks to think about is not just winning the Ukraine-Russian war, right? Uh, in whatever form that takes, uh, but winning is actually coming out stronger. Mm -hmm. And if we go unilaterally in that example with economic sanctions. Uh, but the Europeans stay fractured and they don't support and they continue to have economic ties with Russia. Mm -hmm. 
what does that tell the rest of the world about the alliance and the NATO alliance and the European American partnership? Right. Uh, we would come out weaker from that. So to see the, uh, you know, the the broad acceptance mm -hmm. of sanctions, the broad buy-in of sanctions. It's pretty important, not only for the outcome of the Ukraine-Russian war, but for the, the signal that sends other potential adversaries around the world that, um, you know, when people act inappropriately, right. uh, when, when they go to war um, without just cause, right. uh, that the, the world will come together in opposition of what they're doing and we will hold them accountable. Hopefully they condemn it. So hopefully the people with whom we would like to be partners condemn what happens. Correct. But you could also make an economic correlation as far as the people who aren't as on board with getting onto those trade sanctions. Uh, they're avoiding getting on the trade sanctions like, uh, I mean, I don't want to say Hungary and Slovakia, but I mean, they they're much have a much heavier reliance than other countries. So yeah, just uh, an economic stance. Yeah, well, and I, and I think um, yeah, when you're when you're talking about an alliance, and again, I'm not an expert in alliances sure, and sure. stuff, so my language might my choice of words might be a little strained. But uh, you know, partnerships are are based on unity of action, mm -hmm. uh, unity of uh, outcomes, uh, but also within that alliance, you have to respect the needs of each party, and that's what makes mm -hmm. NATO so important. It also makes NATO so deliberate in that as they're having these discussions, both on the political side and on the military side, you have to give everybody a voice. Mm -hmm. And you can't just act in a way that seems so perfectly clear to you if a partner over here is going to suffer consequences. You're losing buy-in. You're losing buy-in and commitment. And at the end of the day, uh, their first obligation is to their people. Absolutely. And you have to respect that and you have to include them. And that's where I think uh, NATO talks about um, not seeking the perfect solution, but seeking the solution that has the buy-in of the alliance. Mm -hmm. And that's the important part of it. So, and we as Americans, I think we underappreciate that right. too often. We just want to go, you know, and, <laughs> and take it to them. Uh, but again, uh, if you're not going as an alliance, you're leaving your true center of gravity mm -hmm. behind and you're actually probably making yourself weaker and you're just gonna suffer after the fact. Acting alone. Yep. So in uh, regards to the program, so whenever, now that you've completed two iterations of it, what growth have you seen out of the program and what insights have been yielded from the officers who've attended? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and remember, so we had our first cohort um, and then we picked two people from that cohort to lead the second cohort. Right. So it's, it's, t it's generally a different group of officers. Okay. And if you go back to my objectives, my selfish objective is to get time with captains and majors and be able to connect with them personally, um, learn with them, exchange ideas where there is no right or wrong answer. Right. And have that, that uh, exposure. So uh, from that standpoint, each group, is a success for me because I'm I'm getting to know people and I'm getting to see the talent and I'm getting to see their potential. And now I can start thinking about where they can play a greater role in our organization going forward. So it's it's great. That's a success um, no matter what. Absolutely. So that's an outcome of, of this. 
the other the other outcomes I remember um, you know this is uh, we have people apply from across the entire Michigan National Guard family okay both Army and Air uh, both AGR technician traditional they come from different stovepipes mm -hmm. a lot of them don't know each other a right. lot of them haven't even though they've had parallel careers They've been in this brigade or that brigade, or they've been in the army or in the air. Different functions. They don't, they've never met. Right. So we've not had a group, any single participant of any of the cohorts that knew everybody else in the cohort. Right? So it's typically, they might know one other, they might know two or three others, but they don't know all 12 or 15 others. Right. So, um, you know, a benefit of this is that they walk away after this experience, now having those professional relationships across the Michigan National Guard. Right. And where that has played out is our, from cohort one, we've already had them meet outside of the cohort. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, one group sponsored the entire team to come into their air base and get to see what happens on that air base. So what you're seeing is uh, relationship building, uh, professional connections, personal connections across that cohort. Um, and I think that will pay dividends for the Michigan National Guard going forward because they now know who to call over in the Air Force if they're looking for some expertise or subject matter expertise right. to solve a problem. So, so we get that that type of uh, sharing the capabilities. Yep. 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 Um, from cohort one, we now have uh, one of those folks uh, kind of really get excited by an overseas deployment. Um, and apply and has been accepted to go to Italy and spend the next two to three years on a, a tour uh, over in Italy. So, wow. um, you know, so I think the awareness of what's out there, the, the uh, uh, self-awareness of interests and where they fit in has, has hit several of the participants and you're starting to see that eagerness to, to continue to be students of their profession and take on developmental opportunities elsewhere Excellent. and get out of a comfort zone. So there's a lot of different ways of measuring success. Our third group uh, will go to Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, we're looking at um, uh, next uh, winter, maybe February timeframe. Uh, we wanna take the group in to study what's happening on the African continent. Our other partner is Liberia and West Africa but we also want to hit a country in North Africa and in Central Africa mm -hmm. and study the influence of both Russia and China on that continent. But then also the, the illegal trade, the um, uh, extremist groups, and just the complexity. Kidnapper ransom across the Sahel kind of thing. All or... that stuff, right? There's so many tensions going mm -hmm. on. Um, poachers, right. um, illegal trade of diamonds, Intertribal gold. warfare. There's all kinds of tensions on that continent. And uh, there is no one Africa, right? We oh, look right. on a map and you see Africa, but right. every region is slightly different and has different challenges. So I think we'll be able to learn through our, our Liberian partners of, about at West Africa, but hopefully we'll be able to see the different um, you know, perspectives and mm -hmm. challenges across that continent and how external players like Russia and China are interjecting themselves and influencing things in a positive and negative way. And then the role we play from the U.S. in all of that. So that, that's our third group that we're going to be doing in this coming year. I will say that um, in 2013, I went to China, or excuse me, um, Africa. And back, this was almost 10 years ago, the, um, the Chinese government had built a dam 
in Cape Verde. And so, um, as I understood it, and I was, I was explained to, as a cadet, these were, um, people were trying to entice the government to get basing rights or stuff like that. So there's once again, the opposite perspective of a dime, um, viewpoint applying government resources in order to benefit the rest of the government. So whether it's economic or military. So yeah. Yeah. The economic influence is significant across the continent and right. And the negatives of uh, bad loans that compromise governments and give them loans they can't pay back with the ultimate goal of securing sure. access to now we'll take support this infrastructure or land rail lines. Or, yep. Yes, sir. So it sounds like for the benefits of attending the program, we had the relationship building, interpersonal connections, broader awareness of the capabilities across the force of the Michigan Guard. So, and then lastly, uh, just a broadened perspective on um, academia and growing yourself personally. Sir, for those who are interested in the program, what are the, what's the admission requirement as far as rank, grade, officer enlisted, things like that? Yeah, so we've, uh, we weren't quite sure how this was gonna play out with our first cohort and then our, just having our second one. So we have narrowly scoped it for people, captains, post-company command, uh, those that were entering into that staff you know, assignment, uh, and then junior majors. So we wanted to capture them within that window. It's been focused on officers to date. I think there's a potential of growing it. Um, we always have to be cognizant of the resources that are available and try to, to work within our means. Uh, but I think there is potential for senior NCOs in the future, warrant officers in the future. Uh, I think um, we don't want to be restrictive uh, and we want to really look at it from a talent perspective, not a rank perspective mm -hmm. into the future. Uh, but right now, as we get our legs under us and really explore the possibilities, we've been focused on that very narrow cohort mm -hmm. of senior captains, post company command and junior majors. Absolutely. So if people met those criteria, do they go through their chain of command or is there a particular, like obviously this is oriented towards the Michigan Guard. So it is. if someone was um, in that window, who do they talk to to apply? Yeah, we, we put out uh, announcements for the upcoming cohort mm -hmm. and we typically do about five or six months in advance because it, it really takes... Uh, uh, they are actively engaged. There's a great deal of reading, as you saw there, a lot of study, and then the writing assignments. We usually start about three months out um, with active engagements and the, you know, the evening calls through teams uh, as we start to ramp people up and get them uh, exposed to the outcomes. Um, but about six months out, we put out an announcement. So we'll be having an announcement going out for our third one. Uh, we are focused on the Michigan National Guard, mm -hmm. uh, but that, you know, if, if another tag called and said, hey, I'd like to put somebody in to kind of go along and learn the program, I would have no, I'd have no qualms about it. Sure. Uh, Latvia put a major in to our group when we were in Europe. Really? Uh, they, they had three scheduled and then two got diverted because of everything going on. Of but, course. Um, one stuck it out and then was embedded with our team and learning with them and so we're, we're, there are no restrictions, you know, they have to pay their own way, uh, but I also am very respectful of uh, the other tags and I'm not out to get in their knickers. They may have a professional development 
uh, program equal or better than this that they are they are leveraging. Um, but uh, I never shut the door on anyone because I think diversity uh, and other perspectives mm -hmm. from from a broad array of folks just makes it more enriching to those who are participating in it. Absolutely. The last question that we usually wrap up with, sir, is: are, Is there? Do you have any final messaging or any pieces of advice that you'd like to share? You know, I, I th this um, this is a profession. It's a profession of arms. Um, you know, for somebody to really get everything out of a profession, they have to invest in the profession. Mm -hmm. They have to invest in themselves. I encourage people uh, look at yourself honestly. Uh, understand your limitations, your um, strengths, uh, you know, the opportunities in front of you, but know yourself better than anything. Um, the second thing is, you know, take the input of others and see yourself as others see you. Because uh, there's a great chance that people see you differently than you see yourself. And, and take stock in those different perspectives. And don't get frustrated or disappointed, anything. Uh, but it, what it does is it shows you investment opportunities where you can invest in different experiences, different growth opportunities uh, through self-knowledge or through professional training to close that gap. So others see the potential in you that you see. So I think those are, those are germane uh, to all of this. And a significant part of this is not just studying another part of the country or another part of the world uh, and what's going on there, but really getting to know yourself and where your own gaps are and then starting to invest in yourself to continue to move forward. Uh, professions are self-regulating, they have standards, they hold each other accountable. Uh, but if you want to really be a student of your profession, you have to invest. It's not somebody else's responsibility to invest in you, uh, so you have to step forward. The program that we've been talking about today is um, it's put out there, uh, but nobody's forced to do it. It's people who want to do it. We typically have between 20 and 30 applicants, uh, but we only have room between 12 and 15 each time just because of the resources. And, and if it gets too big, then it, you don't get that personal time and get to know a person. So um, we control the size of it. So there's always greater demand, uh, but it is voluntary. And it's, it's encouraging to know we have far more applicants than we are able to take, because that shows us that there are people committed to growth, they're committed to new opportunities, they're committed to uh, the profession and studying. So I encourage everybody to be a student of their profession read, read books like H.R. McMaster's about strategic narcissism. Another simple book, and I know you're gonna put the reading list out, but Ugly American, I think first written in the 50s or 60s. Mm -hmm. And it was really, you know, again, uh, another perspective of how uh, you know, Americans look at everything as an American problem with an American solution. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just causes us to step back and challenge it. Uh, the other thing is really pay attention to relationships. Uh, we've been talking about relationships through NATO or an alliance here, uh, but they're equally as important in the, in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So investing in your network in the workplace, investing uh, in fellow service members or the civilian side of things, uh, it will pay dividends long term. So building those relationships, paying attention to those folks who you may not need today, uh, but you, they need you, and in the future, you know, they will be there when you do need them. So I think that's another key important part of this. And part of this program, again, is to build those, those uh, relationships across our entire Michigan National Guard 
because I think that will be the foundation that will continue to move the organization forward in years to come. So, General Rogers, thank you so much for coming on. It's been incredible hearing about your experiences. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show, sir. Thank you. So, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. If you would like more information on any of the topics that we discussed today, please visit our social media pages in the links below. If you liked today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.